Hey guys, it's Michelle. And Brandy. And this is Spooky Shit. Merry Christmas. This is our Christmas episode, Brandy. Should have started you out. Uh, happy, happy early Christmas. Happy early Christmas. Are we in England? Merry. Yeah. Like, happy Christmas, Harry. <laughs> you know. You're a lizard, Harry. You're a gizzard, Larry. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> we're doing a Christmas true crime special this week, and I am going to be talking about the disappearance of the Sodder children. And then I'm going to talk about the Lawson family massacre. Jeez, Louise, the massacre sounds like a good time. Ah, Very okay. jolly. Uh, don't forget to probably give a warning before your story, because I feel like I feel like that might get brutal. I don't know. Um, yeah. I actually wrote warning in <gasps> all caps with a... What's it called? Exclamation mark? Exclamation mark and then stars on the sides. <laughs> Brandy's learning. You're finally putting the warning. <laughs> I know. I actually got it right in my notes, so I say... Good. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I just thought of an idea. What? We should actually find a little audio clip where, like... What if we have Robert, like, record it where it says, like, warning, the following. We should do that. That'd be cool, though. His weird little voice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we should do that. Okay, at the end of this, we'll ask him. Cool. I feel like right now he's battling someone or something based yeah, on the clicks. He's in, he's in the zone. Oh, okay. Don't bother him. Warning. This episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. So, like I said, this week I'm going to be talking about the disappearance, disappearance <laughs> of the Sodder children. We haven't recorded in two weeks, so I apologize ahead of time because I just know we're going to be fucking up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. More than usual. I know. We fuck up a lot anyway. <laughs> we're just the fuck ups. That's depressing. But yo, that is like the yo, reputation of my new family. Name. New name, the fuck ups. No, no. Spooky shit and the fuck ups. And the fuck ups. We can make, um. Or buy the fuck ups. <laughs> The uh, the merch that we have now, we should do another one that says the fuck-ups underneath <laughs> the whole ghost. <laughs> so, the Sauter family consisted of George and Jenny Sauter and their ten children. Jesus. Mm-hmm. George, born Giorgio Sodu, had been born in Italy in 1895 before moving to the United States at the age of 13. He was accompanied by an older brother who only stayed as long as it took for them to clear Ellis Island customs before heading back to Italy and leaving George on his own. And it's not exactly known why he left his home country. He never really talked about it for the rest of his life for some reason. Um, I'm definitely, like, skating over parts of his life. But eventually he started, a, like, his own trucking company to haul coal in West Virginia. And he got married to a fellow Italian immigrant named Jenny who had moved to the U.S. when she was three years old. Wow. So from him 13 to now he is married and has his own company. Just like that. <laughs> the couple moved to Fayetteville, West Virginia, which had a, a large Italian community large for a small town in West Virginia, where they had a two-story home. George's business was doing well, and a local official said they became, quote, one of the most respected middle-class families around. However, George himself was very opinionated and had no problem sharing his thoughts with those around him, me. He had gotten into a few arguments with members of the local Italian community over his loud opposition of the dictator Benito Mussolini, but also, like, who the fuck was defending a dictator to him? I don't fucking know. Like, good on George. In 1923, the couple started their family when they had the first of what would be 10 children. The last of their children was born in 1943, so that's a good 20 years of childbirth on Jenny's part, which is a fucking hard pass, dude. So by the time their last child had been born, the second oldest son, Joe, was actually old enough that he had moved out and joined the military to fight in World War II. (laughs) Whoa. It was another time. Despite Mussolini's execution in 1945, people still seem to be pretty bitter about the things George had previously said about him. Once in October of that same year, a traveling life insurance salesman had stopped by the house, but George rejected him. He warned George that his house would, quote, go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed, blaming all the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. It's like, what the fuck? That's weird. So another person who stopped by the home looking for work looked around the back of the house and warned George that some fuse boxes back there would cause a fire someday. George thought this was weird because he'd actually just recently had the house rewired and the electric company had told him it was safe. 
Also that same year, some of the older Sauter children in the family had noticed that in the weeks before Christmas, there was a strange car parked on the side of the main highway, and it seemed that the people inside had been watching the youngest children return to school, return from school. So, by 1945, the children were John, who was 23, Joe, who was 21, Marion, who was 17, George Jr., who was 16, Maurice, who was 14, Martha, who was 12, Louis, who was 9, Jenny, Kid Jenny, who was 8, Betty, who was 5, and Sylvia, who was 2. So, yeah, I'm going to say Kid Jenny and Mom Jenny whenever they're related because they're I don't want to get confused. Yeah, they're both Jennies. So, the Sauter family celebrated Christmas on December 24th, 1945. Marion had gotten a job at a local grocery store and surprised Martha, Kid Jenny, and Betty with gifts from her work. They were so excited they asked their mom if they could stay up late at 10 p.m., and she agreed. Her only condition was that the two boys who were staying up with them, Maurice and Louis, went to put the cows in and feed the chickens before going to bed. So, I think they had a fairly big property that had cows and shit. She then took. I mean, t- you needed for 10 children? For 10 children? Yeah, you, you do need a big people. home, huh? <laughs> So, she then took baby Sylvia upstairs with her where they went to bed. By this point, John and George Jr. had already gone to bed after a long day of helping their dad at work. At 12.30 a.m. Christmas morning, the home's phone began to ring. This woke up Mom Jenny, who went downstairs to answer it. On the other line was a woman with an unfamiliar voice who asked for the name of somebody who didn't live there. Mom Jenny noticed the sound of laughter and clinking glasses in the background and informed the woman that she had the wrong number, also noting that she had a weird laugh. She then hung up and headed back up to bed. But on her way up, she noticed that the lights downstairs were still on, the door was unlocked, and the curtains were still open, which is something that the kids would usually handle when they stayed up past their parents. She also saw Marion sleeping on the couch and had assumed that the other children had gone back up to the attic where they slept and just forgotten to turn off the lights, lock the door, and draw the curtains. She handled those three tasks and went back to bed herself. At 1 a.m., Mom Jenny, I love them, I'm just calling her Mom <laughs> Jenny, she was awoken by the sound of something hitting the house's roof. She described it as being a loud bang, then a rolling noise. She didn't hear anything else, so she went back to sleep. Half an hour later, she woke up again, but this time to the smell of smoke. She went and found that, the George, that George's office was on fire around the telephone line and fuse box. She rushed to wake up George, and he went to wake up the older boys. Mom Jenny and George were able to escape the fire with children Marion, Sylvia, John, and George Jr. They were calling out to the other children in the attic, but were unable to go and rescue them as the staircase was on fire. They also couldn't hear any of the trap kids calling out to them. Unfortunately, it wasn't easy trying to get the help of the fire department, so originally they tried their own phone, but it weirdly wasn't working, despite the fact that it had just worked when that woman called like 30 minutes ago. So Marion ran to the neighbor's house to use their phone, but they were unable to get a hold of the operator. Around the same time, another neighbor who had been driving by had seen the flames and went to a tavern to go and call the firemen themselves, but they were also unable to reach the operator. This neighbor then actually drove themselves to the fire department to tell the firemen like exactly what was happening so in desperation to help his five children stuck in the home george broke a window to try and find a way into the smoke-filled home but he cut his arm in the process and unfortunately there was so much fire and smoke he couldn't see anything so that was just a shit plan i guess so he next tried to climb the side of the home barefoot but was unable to without assistance he and his older sons had wanted to use a ladder to climb up and save the kids but they couldn't find it it was missing from the usual spot where he leaned against the house his next idea was to use both of his trucks he used in his business to, like, kind of push against the side of the building and climb up on, but neither of the cars would start, despite the fact that they were working just fine the day before. Sketch. So fucking sketch, dude. Even a barrel of water, which they thought they could use to put out the fire, was frozen. So, like, basically everything that could go wrong fucking went wrong. With nothing working, the family was stuck watching their house burn down and collapse onto the basement over the next 45 minutes, assuming that Maurice, Martha, Louis, Kid, Jenny, and Betty had all died. At the time of this disaster, the fire department was already low on manpower because of World War II, and they had to rely on firefighters calling one another to let them know about the solder house. So literally, just like, one person calling someone and be like, hey, go call blah blah blah, this is on fire. Like a fucking, what's it called? Telephone? literally a telephone like chain (laughs) and on top of that all the firefighters were volunteer based so somebody could just hear about it and be like nah it's christmas morning i don't want to go help yep the response time was even slower because chief morris was unable to drive the fire truck himself and was stuck waiting for someone who could so they actually didn't arrive to the solder home until eight o'clock that morning several hours they only were two and a half miles away that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I feel like you could even fucking walk there faster than yeah. that. 
So when they did arrive, they couldn't do much but look through the ash for remains of the deceased children. Not so fun fact, one of the firefighters was actually Jenny's brother, so he basically was told to look for the bodies of his nieces and nephews, which would fuck me up. That's so sad. I would be like, I'm sorry, I cannot assist the search. I'm gonna go sit over there and cry. <laughs> well, I feel like nowadays they don't even let you get near. Uh, yeah, they probably the wouldn't case. let you. Yeah. yeah. But back then they were like, yeah, go, go find their bodies. <laughs> So, by 10 a.m., Chief Morris told the Sodders that he had been unable to find any remains, although there is another account saying that he had indeed found some bone fragments and organs, but decided not to tell the family for whatever reason, like he didn't want to upset them, which, I mean, they're going to be upset regardless, Mm -hmm. their kids just died. It should be noted that the search really wasn't that thorough at all. Despite all this, Morris did believe that the five children had died in the fire and suggested that it was so hot that their bodies were burned completely. Following the search, Morris told the family to leave the site alone so that the state fire marshals could go by and do more thorough investigation. After four days of waiting, George and Jenny couldn't stand to look at the devastation anymore and bulldozed five feet of dirt over the ashy remains of their homes and basement, planning to make a memorial garden for their five children who had passed away. Meanwhile, a local investigation had decided that the fire was accidental and caused by faulty wiring. Weird little plot twist here. The family actually didn't find out about this until later and they had a private investigator. But one of the people on the jury who decided that the fire was an accident was the life insurance guy from earlier who had told George that his house was going to burn and his family would be destroyed. Is that... That's crazy. That is so sketchy. On December 30th, five days after the fire, the death certificates for the five solder children were issued. On January 4th, 1946, a funeral was held for them, attended by their surviving siblings, but not their parents, who were too grief-stricken. While beginning to rebuild their lives after the fire, the Sauter family began to question the investigation and the official count of what had happened. They wondered why, if it had been an electrical fire, their Christmas lights had stayed on during part of the fire, like in the beginning parts. Presumably the power would have, like, gone out if that was the case. Also, remember that they had just rewired the house and had it safety approved. Mm-hmm. They were also confused when the ladder they were unable to find to save the children was found 75 feet away from the home at the bottom of an embankment. What? Like, how? Who would have moved that? They spoke to a phone repairman who told them that the home's phone line wasn't burned in the fire, but in fact, it had been cut by somebody who had climbed up the 14-foot pole to do so. Yo. Yo, right? Because I was like... They just had a phone call. Like, how the fuck can they not reach the fire department now? Yo. They so, probably stole the ladder to do that. Yes. And then through... I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I thought this was two separate things. <laughs> so, there's one story. Um, I don't think this is, like, verified. But it's of a man who had been caught stealing something in the neighborhood that night. And he claimed that he cut the phone line on accident while he was trying to cut the power to the home. But this still doesn't explain why he was cutting the power to only a single home. When, mm-hmm. As far as I could tell, the stuff he was stealing was, like, outside. Jenny had a hard time believing Chief Morris's story about the bodies being completely burned in the fire, especially after finding that a lot of things in the household were still recognizable even after burning for 45 minutes. She also read an article about another home that had burned down and killed seven people, and in this instance, the bones of all involved were found. She began to experiment with burning small animal bones herself to see if they would be completely burned, and she was never able to get them to, like, turn to ash. Eventually, she even went to visit a local crematorium and spoke to an employee who told her that even after bodies are burned for two hours at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, the bones usually still remained. This house was significantly less hot and had only burned for 45 minutes. So, I looked this up myself and found that most house fires will burn between 1,000 and 2,000 degrees, which is pretty big window honestly and that whole human bodies take up to three hours to cremate but two things i read did say some bone fragments can remain even after this and they kind of have to get like grinded down so it doesn't make sense that the bones would just like fucking evaporate disappear (laughs) yeah meanwhile george had begun to wonder why his trucks which seemed in good condition were unable to start the night of the tragedy he thought they had been tampered with potentially by the thief who had also cut their phone line Later on, a future son-in-law of George suggested that maybe in their haste to start the trucks, they had accidentally flooded the engines. I would like to point out something here because I wasn't totally sure where to include it, but John actually said, which is like um, the older son at the time, said that he went up to the attic to warn his siblings about the fire in his first interview, but he later changed his story and said he actually only called out to them and didn't see them. Later on, he was the only member of the family who wouldn't talk about what happened that night and thought everyone should just accept what happened and moved on. 
which is like a shame because does this mean he lied in his first interview and is feeling guilty that he wasn't able to like really go check on the kids and get them up or guilty maybe it said that like he just called out to them I don't I don't know I just wish he spoke about it more because I feel like that's a pretty big part of this whether or not he actually went in there yeah I read a post on WebSleuths that was reportedly made by his grandson, and in it they say that John had not gone to wake up the children, and he didn't look into the case much in the future because he wanted to believe that they were alive out there somewhere, but was scared to look into it. But this could just be somebody, like, fucked up online pretending to be related to the family. Many people who heard about the story were suspicious about the phone call at 1230 from that strange woman. According to one source, this was actually investigated by police who were able to identify her, and found that it truly was just a call to the wrong number. Low-key anticlimactic, but <laughs> I thought it was weird. Whenever she was like, I remember her weird laugh. I was like, oh my god, her weird laugh. By the following spring, the family began to plant flowers over the bulldozed home. However, even more things had come to light to make them believe that their children were indeed alive. In 1946, a witness came forward who pointed out that the fire had, a- who pointed that the fire had actually been caused by arson. A bus driver had passed by the house on the night of Christmas Eve and said that he saw people throwing balls of fire, in his words, at the house. To back this up, once spring came, Sylvia was outside and found a small, hard, dark green rubber object that was similar to a ball. George saw it and immediately thought of how his wife had heard a bang on the roof that evening and thought maybe this object could have caused it. He believed it was a napalm, pineapple bomb, or another fire-starting device that was used in combat. The family also thought that the fire had started on the roof, though there was no way to prove that it was true at this point. Another witness that later came forward said on the evening of Christmas Eve 1945, she had gone to watch the fire from the side of the road when she saw a car pass by and who she believed to be some of the children inside looking out at her. A woman working at a rest shop in between Fayetteville and Charleston claimed that the morning after the fire, she had served the missing children breakfast and noticed the car of the people they were with had Florida licenses. A third person came forward years later saying she had seen the children about a week after they went missing in Charleston at a hotel she ran. She said they had come into the hotel around midnight with two men and two women who appeared to be of Italian descent. The woman who worked at the hotel tried to talk to one of the children, but one of the men with them reacted in a hostile way and the entire group stopped talking to her, and they then left the hotel very early the next morning. Investigators now no longer believe this woman's account as she had been... She had reportedly seen pictures of the children two years after the fire, but she didn't come forward until five years after she saw the pictures. So it's just kind of weird that she would wait so long. The Sauter family hired a private investigator named C.C. Tensley not long after the tragedy to look into the case. It's through him that they actually learned that the creepy fire insurance dude had been on the jury deciding it was an accident. Tinsley also heard rumors that Chief Morris had actually found a heart the night of the fire, which he put into a box and buried in secret at the site of the tragedy. So, Morris had told a minister of this who confirmed the story when George checked. He and Tinsley went to confront Morris, who admitted the story and dug up the box to give it to them. The two next took the box with a heart in it to a local funeral director who examined the inside and decided that it actually wasn't a human's heart, but beef liver that had never been exposed to fire before. Rumors began again that Morris had actually done this, like, burying it, in hopes that George would find the heart and it would confirm to him that his children had died. Which, it definitely did the exact opposite and just made it seem more suspicious. And why would it be found in a box? Why put it in a box? George tried to get the FBI to help in the search for his children by writing them a letter, but received a personal letter back from J. Edgar Hoover, who's the first director of the FBI, who said they couldn't help him unless it was requested by the local authorities, who declined to do so. Hmm stupid i mean it's not gonna hurt you to ask Mm -hmm. in august of 1949 george spoke to oscar hunter a pathologist in washington dc and was able to get him to supervise a new search of the dirt where the home was a thorough search was conducted during which they found a burned dictionary and some coins that belonged to the children they also found several small bone fragments that they say belonged to a human vertebrae super casual findings So these bones were sent to a specialist who said they were indeed from the vertebrae of one person and said, quote, since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. The top limit of age should be about 22 since the centra, which normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. Remember the oldest child who had gone missing was Maurice and he was only 14 at the time, so it's unlikely that these bones actually belonged to any of the children. However, the report did say that Maurice's vertebrae could be more advanced for his age, but it just wasn't likely, and as well, the bones didn't show any exposure to fire. 
He also agreed that it was weird that full skeletons weren't found for all the supposedly deceased children. It was decided the bone fragments had likely come from the dirt that George had bulldozed on top of the home to build the garden. Which is just, what are the chances of you getting all this dirt and there just being a fucking human vertebrae inside of it? (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. That's weird. In 1950, the case was closed on a state level, and the Sodders were told that it was hopeless. Eventually, the FBI did decide it could possibly be a kidnapping, but dropped the case later on after only two years when they couldn't get any good leads. This basically led the Sodders to have to do all their own investigating. In 1951, this is just another little factoid, uh, records show that George and Jenny may have actually had another baby named Michael, but unfortunately he died the day he was born. Aww. So, the family did not give up hope over the years and printed flyers of pictures of children offering first five and then eventually $10,000 in reward to anyone who could help settle the case. In 1952, they put up a billboard of the five kids' pictures and names on it explaining what had happened and asking for help. This billboard soon became a landmark for those driving through the area. Once, George saw a picture of a young ballet dancer who he believed to look like his daughter, Betty. He drove all the way to New York City where this child went to school to see if it was his missing daughter, but he was refused entry, obviously, because you would just look fucking insane if you tried to do that. Another time, he went to St. Louis, Missouri when someone told him Martha was being held at a coven there, and then he went to Texas when somebody told him they heard two people making incriminating comments about a fire in West Virginia on Christmas Eve. George had even heard that one of Jenny's distant relatives in Florida had children who looked like his and went to investigate. Unfortunately, none of these tips proved to be helpful. In 1967, 22 years after the fire, George went to Houston, Texas with his son-in-law Grover Paxton to speak to a woman who had sent them a letter. She said she met with Lewis, who had let slip his true identity after drinking too much. She also revealed that he had lived with Maurice somewhere in Texas. Unfortunately, when they arrived, they were unable to talk to the woman, but police helped them note helped them track down the two men who she spoke about and they denied being his children according to his son-in-law george had doubts about their denial for the rest of his life so i am assuming that they looked like him if that's the case that's crazy i know right i wonder if it was and they just didn't say anything like why though maybe i get into some theories later but there is some possibly sketch things involved that you'll see Hmm. anyway the same year, the Sodders received a second letter. This one had been addressed to Jenny with no return address, but had been postmarked in Central City, Kentucky. Inside, she found a picture of a young man who looked to be around 30 with super similar features to her son, Louis, who would be around 30 if he had survived the fire. On the back of the picture, it said, Louis Sodder, I love Brother Frankie, little boys, 190132 or 35. The family hired a PI to head to the city in Kentucky to investigate, but never heard back from him again. Despite this, they still had their hope rekindled ever so slightly. They added the picture to the billboard and had an enlargement of it put over their fireplace. They did leave out the info on Kentucky on the billboard because they feared that Lewis could meet harm. In late 1968, George spoke to the Charleston Gazette Mail, saying that the lack of information coming in was, quote, like hitting a rock wall. We can't go any further. But he did add that time is running out for us and that he would continue his search. In a separate interview, he said, we only want to know if they die, if they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. George unfortunately died the next year in 1969. The remaining family continued to try and publicize the disappearance of the kids and get answers. For the rest of Jenny's life, she remained in black clothing for mourning and would tend to the garden that she had started at the site of the burned-down house. She herself eventually died in 1989, and her family finally took down the billboard, which had been up, displaying the faces of the missing Sodder children for 37 years. Damn. Mm-hmm. As of 2019, Sylvia Sodder is the only known living Sodder child. She says that the night of the fire was her very first memory. She was, I think, a little over two at the time and that her and her dad would frequently stay up late talking about what may have happened. She herself believes that her siblings survived the fire, and along with and along with her own children, she still tries to keep the case publicized. So there's, like, so many different theories out there as to what happened to Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Kid, Jenny, and Betty. <laughs> I love listing their names because it's, like, fu- that's a lot of fucking names. One that the other siblings themselves thought could be the truth was that the local mafia had tried to first recruit and then extort money from George who rejected them. They then did something to the children in retaliation, or they were retaliated against for George's criticism of Mussolini. 
Another theory they thought possible was that somebody familiar to the family knew there was going to be an arson attack and kidnapped the children, likely telling them, like, oh, something's going to happen, you need to come with us to fucking live. In this scenario, the children were either killed or taken away, possibly to Italy. Upon realizing their parents and other siblings had survived the fire, they then stayed out of touch to keep them out of harm's way. So, in this, I imagine, whoever they were taking by was dangerous. So, yeah, mm-hmm. the mafia potentially was involved, so they didn't really want to... They didn't want to do anything because they were scared that, like, the children could meet harm. I'd be scared, way. too. Yeah. There are actually quite a few people I saw online who think that they really did die in the fire that night. They point out that although the house was consumed in only 45 minutes, not enough time to burn bones, it was likely smoldering for hours afterwards. People of this theory also point out that if the children were up in the third-story attic when the fire began and their bones had been burning for up to 45 minutes when the house collapsed, it's possible they had been weakened to the point where the pressure of the house basically falling on them pulverized the bones. The basement was maybe filled with coal at the time as well, because that was, like, pretty popular at the time. So it could have been burning hotter than the rest of the home, and any bones that fell in there could have been destroyed. Also, like I pointed out earlier, the home was not searched very well in the beginning stages, and they did bulldoze dirt on top of where the basement was. So my problem with this is, how were they able to find the items, like the burned dictionary and coins, that had been in the attic at the time of the fire that wasn't totally destroyed, but all of their bodies would be destroyed? I don't really understand. But anyway, a majority of the comments I read seem to believe that the fire was indeed caused by an arsonist, however, which I definitely fucking think so as well. One person even suggested that the fire was set by the children themselves, but that's a no for me, dog. Like, the oldest one was, what, like, 14? Youngest Mm -hmm. was 5? I don't think they were fucking setting a fire. An obvious suspect, if you're thinking of arson, is the man who threatened George after he couldn't sell him life insurance, who later on helped decide that the fire had been accidental. He seemingly wasn't looked into at all by investigators, and I'm not sure if the Sodders themselves ever questioned him either. Another person whose actions make zero fucking sense was Chief Morris from the fire department. I don't know if it's just because he was, like, covering his own ass, but the burying a heart thing is so fucking weird to me. Like, why did he want so badly for them to be placated and convinced that their children were dead? And was somebody potentially, like, influencing him and telling him to, like, oh, like, botch the fucking investigation? I don't know. I also saw some people questioning his inability to drive, because like I mentioned, he didn't head over for like six hours or some shit because he couldn't drive. But this could just be because it was the 1940s, cars were expensive, I don't know how much people actually like drove around. Regardless, if he was suspicious or not, this dude is just fucking weird. So a private investigator that the Sodders had hired at one point suggested that the children could have been kidnapped to be put up for the adop- put up for adoption on the black market, like for people who couldn't have their own kids. This same investigator asked witnesses if they heard any outcries from the attic of the home or the smell of burning flesh on the night of the fire and was told nobody could remember either of these things. Which I feel like you would... Mm-hmm. This sounds gross, but I feel like you would smell it if five people were inside. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you would hear it, too. Yeah, I imagine they would scream, right? I so, know I would. <laughs> yeah, for it the fuck. I would just jump out the window. Just break a bone better than dying That's inside. True. Very, very true. So, also the guy who cut the phone, li- phone lines was considered a suspect by, by people online, I should say. <laughs> so, he said he was just trying to cut power, but, like, why would he even want to cut the power to the house in the first place? Yeah, like, I thought that was so suspicious. But again, I couldn't really find anything else on him, so I don't know what to really think something that really interested me was the letter supposedly from adult lewis i was looking more into it and what it could possibly mean especially the a90132 or 35 so i googled this and was brought to a theory that it was a zip code when you take away the a or add a p to make it pa both 90132 and 90135 are zip codes for a city named palermo in italy and it's actually the capital of sicily this adds credibility to some theories that the children were taking to Italy, whether by someone trying to care for them or someone who had worse intentions. If not a zip code, some believe it could be a date, like 9-1-1932 or 1935, but personally, like, I'm leaning more towards the zip code theory. I don't know, maybe I'm just biased. <laughs> the rest of the letter said, I love Brother Frank- Frankie, Lil. there's like a lot of L's in it, little boys. Someone on Web Sleuths pointed out that this could have just been written by somebody who, like, predominantly spoke another language. So, maybe you're supposed to read as, 
I love his, or I love my brother Frankie. He has little boys. Then the zip code's for Italy. I think this would make sense if they were taken to Italy, and they, of course, wouldn't be speaking English as much as they had growing up. Growing up? Growing up. Growing up. <laughs> <laughs> as for brother Frankie, like, it could be another one of the missing children whose name was changed to Frankie, somebody who had gone to live with them named Frankie, or maybe even if he'd been sent to, like, a boy's home or something, like, literally a brother Frankie, like a priest. There's a lot of options there. I also found it super suspicious that the PI they sent to Kentucky to investigate the letter was never heard from again. Like, I read that, I think a lot of people were like, oh, he was a scammer or something. I'm like, that's creepy to me. He went to investigate and he was never heard from again? Yeah, that's creepy. That sounds like he got fucking killed or something. They, they found him. Yeah. And I also wonder if this letter was supposedly from Lewis or, like, did somebody who thought they knew Lewis. I don't really know that either. I'm not sure. But anyway, overall, I truly have no idea what the fuck happened to Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny, and Betty. I think it's definitely possible that they did, in fact, die in the fire that night. But other things, like the stuff in the room that was found, their phones fucking not being found, like, that really made me question if they did die. Also, I don't understand why everything had been left on with the door unlocked downstairs. A theory I came up with on my own was maybe the kids had gone to do their chores outside before bed, per their mom's request, and they were taken by somebody then. Because people were also like, how would they get kidnapped if Mar Marion was sleeping on the couch? Mm -hmm. I'm like, maybe the two boys went to do it, and the other kids were like, oh, I want to go too, just because they're annoying their siblings. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, and she just slept through, and somebody outside was like, yo, uh, come with me, otherwise you're going to die. <laughs> Um, but in this scenario, I honestly don't see why whoever took them would keep the family alive or like the kids alive because I imagine it'd be the same person setting the fire and they just wanted to kill everyone. But who knows? Maybe they saw how young they were and like felt bad or something because they're young enough to where I feel like they could be manipulated into caring for the person who took them. But even then, like that doesn't really make sense for the picture of Lewis and like Nothing in this case just makes any fucking sense, and it's hard to tell if it was all just weird coincidences or what. But as of today, it is still unsolved, and it will probably remain unsolved, and we'll just have to debate online about what really happened that early Christmas morning. Ooh. Do you have any, um, like, predominant theories as to what you think happened? I can't think of anything. Because I keep being like, yeah, they probably did die, but then I'm like, okay, they didn't find fucking anything. Somebody I mean, had, like, cut their phone lines, yeah, all this shit. Yeah, that's super sketchy. I feel like they could have left on their own, mm -hmm. but why? If they left on their own, that kind of reminds me of Aisha Degree a little bit. How she, like, left in her home and hasn't been seen since. I'm like, did somebody, like, I didn't even think about that. Maybe someone was, like, preying on them and told them, like, hey, come Maybe meet me at this place or something. groom them. Yeah. Maybe someone could have, like, lured the two boys and then the others just followed because... Because they're just annoying little kids who are like, I want to go. It's just interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't think of a theory like that. I don't know if the kids would have set the fire themselves, but they could have, like, gone with somebody who set the fire. Yeah, could have been bad influences that were like, do this. That makes sense, because I couldn't really think of a reason why they'd be like, oh, we want to keep these kids, but not the other kids. <laughs> and it would make sense if they were preying on a couple of them and... I doubt they'd be preying on all five, but the other three could just been along for the ride. <laughs> they just, yeah, they wanted to be part of it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm ready for your sad story. Oh, the sad one's the next one. Oh. The sad, well, this story's not even sad, you guys. No, this one is. <laughs> oh. I also wanted to point out, because I noticed on, um, like, Apple Podcasts, we got a review saying like oh, one of us sounds muffled we take turn wearing masks based on the person who's talking and not talking so we are muffled and <laughs> i guess we literally are i'm wearing a mask right now <laughs> i am not maybe not the safest thing but you know we're sitting on opposite sides of a couch we don't even look at each other i don't even know what brandy looks like it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yes you do oh it's funny because you always look at me when you're reading i know i'm like are you paying attention to me? Yeah, <laughs> Make me feel good about myself. Laugh at my jokes. 
<laughs> and I'm just sitting here minding my business. You're just falling asleep. You're like, oh, shit, is it my turn yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here yawning. Right. Like, keep your eyes open. <laughs> Literally, you every time I talk. And I'm like, damn, okay, I'll turn it up faster. Fuck. <laughs> it's not your fault. I'm just really tired. <laughs> I promise your story was really interesting. Fire. For reals. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, sorry. On to my story about okay. the Lawson family. Warning. <laughs> exclamation point star 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 exclamation point warning warning repeat warning i mean none of the violence is gonna happen yet but i'm throwing eventually the warning. i'm throwing the warning okay so a man named charles lawson married a woman named fanny manring fanny yes fanny <laughs> Like, <laughs> Fanny. <laughs> yeah, Fanny. You know, in England, that means vagina. It doesn't really. Uh, at least that's the impression I got from Skins UK whenever I was a teenager. <laughs> and her last name's Manring. Mm-hmm. She has a weird name. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, Fanny. I was like, what? Like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they married in 1911 and went on to have eight children together. Jesus, people back then. They were just popping babies. Like, it was nothing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, I guess it was a big thing back then. My grandma had 11 children. Oh, my God. I don't know how many kids my grandparents had. Hopefully not 11. That's a... Ugh. They're poor vaginas. It's rough. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they don't talk about that. They don't talk about that for it. Never (laughs) talked to my grandma about that. It's like, hey, grandma, how are you down there? going after 11 children oh how are you feeling not well i'm sure (laughs) so in 1918 charles moved his growing family to germantin german town no 10 ton okay germantin north carolina charles and his two younger brothers all worked as tendant tobacco farmers and saved money to buy their own farms oh nice so yeah Basically, his uh, two younger brothers like convinced him to move, so they um, could all work together and save money to like basically buy their own farm and make money. It's a family business, basically. <laughs> so two years later, Charles and Fanny's third child, William, unfortunately died of an illness in 1920. Oof, so sad. Poor baby. So I'll get more into the family members. Um, there was the oldest. Marie, who was 17, Arthur, who was 16, Carrie, who was 12, Maybelle, who was 7, James, who was 4, Raymond, who was 2, and the baby, Mary Lou, who was 4 months old. That is such small age gaps between all of them. Yeah. That's like 8 under 8 almost, is how it would feel. That's yeah, just it's crazy. a lot of kids. Not really it, quick. It's a lot of kids. Whew. And this time, um, William would have been 15. Oh. So. That's sad. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Very sad. I forgot how old he was. When he died. Yeah. Because <laughs> what year is this event occurring in? In 1929. He died in 1920. So nine years younger? Yeah. Six? Six, yeah. He was oh six Oh my old. gosh, that is so young. He was a, but a wee lad. But a wee lad. <laughs> I just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in December 1929, Charles made certain decisions leading up to the murders that were sus. Okay. Also, um, the murders? Oh, wait, you already said the massacre. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> I was like, what? What? Did you guys hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so, he bought his whole family new outfits. So, that was nine new outfits total. No. Wait, actually, it's ten. Wait, no, it wasn't. Ten the parents? No, because one child died, right? No, yeah, so it was seven kids and then them two. Yeah, no, I was right. Nine is still Nine. a lot of fucking outfits. Yes. And he paid to go to the studio to get a photograph taken of all of them. And this was hella sus because at that time it was extremely uncommon for working class families to do such thing. Yeah. It was like, nobody the, ever did that. Yeah, it was unless you were 1920s. rich, rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, 1930 almost. Okay. So, now to the crazy, gruesome story of their massacre. No, okay. Warning. Warning, warning, warning. warning. (laughs) (laughs) 
So on December 25th, 1929, Mary, the 17-year-old, had gotten up early to make a cake for Christmas. She baked a two-layer cake and had iced them to prepare for the family gathering. Sometime after, the two middle girls, Carrie and Maybell, left to visit their aunt and uncle who lived in a neighboring farm. But behind the tobacco... Tobacco. This is England. Behind the tobacco barn was a man with a shotgun waiting for them. <sighs> I love that side. It was scary. I was thinking about just walking like... Ah, just just, the fucking shotgun. Just skipping... Trying but, to skip to yes. your uncle and... Oh. Oh, yeah. He shot both of them and then proceeded to bludgeon them to ensure they were dead. He then dragged their bodies inside the barn. Oh, my God. He then went to the family house where Fanny was sitting on the porch and he shot and bludgeoned her too before running inside after Mary screamed from hearing the gunshot. I was going to say, his guns were probably really loud back then, so they're all like, what the fuck? I mean, especially shotgun. Shotgun? 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 Those things are lethal. Yeah, in the 1920s too? I mean, brutal. Even now, those things. Those things do damage. It's a no thanks for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a no for me. Yeah. Um. So her two younger brothers, James and Raymond, attempted to run away and hide. But he also shot and bludgeoned Mary before finding the two boys and bludgeoning them to death. Uh... Lastly, he killed the four-month-old Mary Lou with a fractured skull. So basically. Oh my gosh. How do you hit a four month old in the head? Cut them. I don't know. I guess how do you do any of this to the, anyone yeah. at all? So the man turned out to be someone the victims knew all too well. Their dad? Yep. Oh my god. Charles Lawson. Can you imagine being the little boys hiding in our bed from Dude, your dad? That's so sad. Your dad's supposed to be like your hero. Not the person well, who I mean, literally I can't massacres relate, but... you. Yeah, but <laughs> A lot of people can't relate, but um, they're not supposed to murder you, at least. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. So, after his killing spree, he went back to all the bodies and put a pillow under their heads and positioned them so that they were flat on their back with their arms crossed. What? Just, Why? That was weird. Um, for the two girls that were in the barn, he positioned their bodies the same way, but instead of putting pillows, he put, like, rocks under their heads. Oh. oh. To act like a pillow, I guess. It's still weird. It's so weird. I was like, oh. and the rock parts are just extra creepy for some reason. If it wasn't creepy enough. <laughs> <laughs> so his oldest son, Arthur, 16, was the sole survivor and the unfortunate one to discover the bodies. Ugh. So I guess earlier in the day, there's like mixed reviews. It was either Charles sent him or mm-hmm. Arthur got permission from him. But basically got permission from his father and to walk into town with a friend to buy ammunition for rabbit hunting which was like big with between like the males in their family yeah especially around like christmas that was like their hobby so it was children hunting bitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah so after the gruesome discovery he alerted police officials who started gathering at his home along with other spectators charles was nowhere to be found but within a few hours of the gathering, everyone heard a single gunshot come from the nearby woods. Everyone went to investigate, and eventually Arthur and a police officer discovered Charles Barley. But Barley? <laughs> Body. He had committed suicide by shooting himself. Oh. And they actually um, found a lot of footprints around the tree where he, like, offed himself. Is he, like, pacing or yeah, that's what oh. it led him to believe he had paced around before killing himself. Oh my gosh. Um, they also found two notes in his pockets. One read, trouble can cause, dot dot dot, that's all it said. Okay. And the other one said, nobody to blame. Uh, except for you, you killed your <laughs> family dipshit. It's just all <laughs> sketch. Um, but this explained nothing, and for a while they never had answers. After the funeral for the whole Lawson family, one of the Charles... One of Charles's brother took advantage and opened up the house as a tourist attraction. <gasps> it was yeah, they left everything as it was, even the cake <gasps> that she had like left ready to go untouched. Oh, cake. But there's like cake. blood everywhere. Oh 
my god. The, yeah. And it's crazy because I guess they ended up having to put um, a glass cover over the cake because people were actually like taking bits of the cake. What? As like a memorabilia, kind of oh like a souvenir. God. People are fucking weird. Yeah, it's very weird. The cake that the dead teenage girl made. What the basically. Fuck? Oh. I'm like, wouldn't it go bad though? <laughs> it probably went bad real fast. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it was just crazy. Like, they made money off that. Oof. I mean, they were just because they literally left everything. Leaving like, the blood and stuff. Yeah. That is so brutal. Very. So we don't know much of Arthur other than that he got married, had four children, and died at the age of 32 in 1945. 32? Yeah, he was 32. He was really young. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, but he died from a mortar accident. A what accident? Motor. Oh, motor accident. So car? Oh, yeah. I'm sure cars back then were shit, so. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's all we really get from him. It wasn't until 1990, way after everyone's death, where we get a glimpse at a possible motive for murder. Oh, thank God. I was like, Brandy, if you don't give me any fucking options (laughs) for what happened here. So it came from a book published about the massacre where a cousin of the Lawson children revealed a 60-year-old secret. (gasps) Stella Lawson Bowles confessed that she had overheard her mother and the other Lawson women um, talking at the funeral about how Fanny had confided in them that she discovered incest in her family before no. Christmas. Oh, no. Apparently, Mary had told her best friend, Ella May, that she was pregnant with her father, Char- <gasps> her father Charlie's baby. Fuck. Or Charles. I wrote Charlie's. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> um, and that both her parents knew about the pregnancy. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, basically, I think she told her best friend first when she, like, slept over. Uh-huh. And then she told her mom. Yeah. And her mom was obviously, what the fuck? Yeah. And she... Big what the fuck. Yeah, big, huge what the fuck. So, in another story, a neighbor of the family, Sam Hill, said that Charlie was... Had forced himself upon his daughter and... When she became pregnant, he had warned her that if she told her mother or anyone else, there would be some killing done. <gasps> what the fuck? Yeah. That's scary. Just kill yourself, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. So, um, this was like a huge massacre. Everyone knew about it. And it actually entered folk history in the form of ten songs, two books, and a film. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh crazy i'll have to watch that movie mm, i don't know if i need to watch the movie <laughs> actually i'm actually curious to i should have looked up the songs the songs are probably I, pretty intense yeah i didn't <laughs> look them up i should have um but basically it's believed that charles lawson murdered his family because he felt ashamed for impregnating his daughter and didn't want it to get out although no autopsy report has had any evidence that she was pregnant mm-hmm. but then i'm like maybe they didn't check you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. They they had no reason to suspect that yeah. she was pregnant at yeah. the time. That's that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Also, it could have been a false alarm. Like maybe she wasn't actually pregnant, and he had been sexually assaulting her, and just thought she was pregnant or something. That's very true. Um. Lastly, it is said that he sent Arthur away because he had no idea, or any suspicions, and was afraid that he would intervene to stop him, which. I think he could have, like, Arthur could have stopped him because he was actually a bit, like, taller and okay. than him. And he looked, like, swole because he was a farmer. <laughs> he would help his he dad out. He could have fucked him up. Yeah, he looked swole. I was confused at first because you were, like, because he, uh, he didn't know about anything. And I was, like, bitch, the four-month-old didn't fucking know that she was <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> True, but I think he was just scared that the Arthur. The four-year-old couldn't fight him. Four-month-old couldn't fight him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he was just scared that Arthur would like entering beat his ass basically he deserved it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's the story that's savage ass story crazy merry christmas merry christmas guys oh that's sad very sad but i i i kind of like i think he did it because of that reason i could see that being it yeah it's unfortunate that nobody, like, checked if she was pregnant, but I guess at the time they had no fucking reason to be like, is she pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> and then also their last picture together, it just kind of looks creepy. Ooh. There's been, like, 
Um, I forgot to mention, like, someone commented, some, like, older lady that, like, knew. Knew the family? She, yeah, she was, like, commenting on the photo and was like, yeah, look at it. He, like, looks, she looks defiant, uh, Mary. Oh, no. And that he looked like, I forgot what the word she used. Like a creepy. Yeah, just, like, creep. very creepy creep. Oh, you looked it up? I did. I'm it's, looking up right now. She does look defiant. They look so, like, serious. Ew. Is that the oldest son on the left? Yeah, that's Arthur. He could have fucked up his dad. Yeah, see, he's he does. like taller he looks than jacked. him. He, he does. <laughs> also, the picture isn't good because his eyes look totally white, like he's yeah, a fucking zombie. That's it's creepy. Ooh, I can't wait to post this picture for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that is fucked, though. Mm-hmm. I, why would he? It's extra creepy. Like I think you even said that he went and bought them all these outfits and yeah. went to take a picture with them, knowing he was gonna kill them. Yep. What was the point of that? Like, you you wanted people to look back and be like, oh, what a nice-looking family. It's like, everyone's going to know that you killed them, you know? Maybe he wanted... I don't know. That's hard to say. That's creepy. If, but, that, if this doesn't get you guys in the Christmas spirit, I don't know what will. <laughs> why, why on Christmas? Hmm. Maybe because he knew the family was gathering. Oh, there's going to be other family coming over? Yeah, they were supposed to gather with his brothers and, like, their wives. Oh, yeah, he's probably scared that someone would see. Yeah. Or maybe say his, something. his wife could have confronted him about it. Maybe. And been like, maybe she was I waiting. heard about it, you piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's sad. Because apparently, like, Fanny did mention it to some people. To, like, her sisters, right? To her, her sister-in-laws, I think. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if she did confront him or, like, hint at it and made it obvious. Maybe, and that's why he, like, totally lost his shit. Oh, my God. I don't know. That's Creepy. scary. Very sad. Jesus. Why kill the other kids, too? Fuck. Yeah, fucking that the little kids, like... The little, like, a four-month-old? Why Like, then? they don't even know what the fuck is going on, bro. Yeah. They haven't even lived. I'm still really sad thinking about the boys running the hide and him hunting them down basically yeah there were four and two four and two mm-hmm. oh my god that is really 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 young that's upsetting i thought they were older for some reason no the, the girls were 12 and 7 12 and 7 oh my the god the first ones fuck man yeah really sad don't kill your guys' families life hack <laughs> life hack please don't please don't massacre your families on christmas or any day but yes hope you guys actually on the reels have a happy holidays after this um if you guys want to email us you can at the spooky shit dot pod at gmail.com robert's making faces or you can follow us on instagram and twitter at spooky shit underscore pod and check out our website at Spooky shit dash pod.com. We got dashes. We got underscores. We got dots. We got fucking everything you guys could need. <laughs> we have merch now too. So check that out. Like I posted about it everywhere. Anything I just listed, you can find our merch. And thank you guys for listening. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.